Hey everyone, welcome back to the Potter's House, the podcast where we discuss how biblical topics, church life, and current events impact our everyday lives. My name is Marcus Ionescu and I'm your host, and today we're back with an episode. Uh, sorry for the uh, unforeseen break. Um, I was very uh, busy just with life, with work, with uh, church, getting ready for, for the Easter Resurrection Sunday holiday. And um, I guess with me, one thing you can, uh, you know, if there's a certain break in a pattern, it's either I'm busy or depressed. And thank God I am not depressed. I was just uh, busy with some stuff. So I'm glad that I can do an episode this week. It's a pre-recorded message from uh, about a month ago. And um, I'm still working on some pre-planning phase uh, episodes right now. So uh, this is what we have for this week. And uh, before we talk about that, I do want to make a couple of announcements and they're the usual announcements, and uh, those announcements are, you can find us for any and all updates on our Instagram account, which is at the Potter's House. That's where we're going to post everything through the stories, through the posts. Uh, you can find the episode promos there as well. Also, uh, streaming possibilities, most notably on Apple Podcast and Spotify. Uh, if you do have an iPhone, go to that purple podcast app, the Apple Podcast app, which is connected through iTunes. Uh, scroll down, tap the stars because it really helps with the exposure of the show. And uh, also, if you haven't already and you would like to, uh, you can leave a written review. And if you, that review, I will read out loud on the show as I have done in the past. Also, with Spotify, you have a similar option where you can leave five stars. So please, if you've done it on one platform and you have the possibility to do it on the other platform, please do so. Because like I said, it really does help with the exposure of the, of the show uh, it raises the show up on the charts as well. So thank you guys for, for doing that in advance. And um, yeah, as far as that goes, I can't really think of anything else. But um, the message that we're going to have for this week is based out of Judges chapter 16, which talks about uh, the story of Samson and Delilah. And uh, as you've read in the episode title and the promo for those of you who have seen it on Instagram, um, the title of this episode is The Enemy's Strategy. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to look at Judges 16, and we're going to look at also um, a few uh, previous chapters in the book of Judges where uh, Samson does a few things, uh, makes a few mistakes, and uh, we're going to see the consequences that he has to pay for that. And a lot of that can be derived from the strategy that the enemy uses to trap us and to attack us. And um, it's good to read and learn from the example that Samson left so we could avoid doing the same or making the same mistakes that he made in his time. So um, don't want to get too detailed right now just because we will cover it in the episode, but uh, here is the episode. So I'll uh, just stand really quick for the reading of God's word. Just want to read a couple verses here tonight before we get started. Let's turn to Judges chapter 16. And uh, we're going to jump around a lot through this chapter tonight. Uh, but I just want to read two verses for now, and then we'll get into it. So Judges chapter 16, we're going to read verses 4 and 5. Judges 16, verses 4 and 5. Verse 4 says, After this he had loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Seduce him, 
and see where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him, and we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Amen. You may be seated. So tonight we're talking about no one other than Samson, and uh, we're, we're going to talk a little bit about his life, but like I said, we're going to focus on chapter 16, and this is his, uh, chapter 16 and 17, this is his episode with Delilah and then his eventual death, um, and as I was reading through this, there are a lot of interesting things about the life of Samson. A lot of uh, dyma- dynamic twists and turns that, that happened, a lot of unexpected things. Um, his life was just very unorthodox, in, for, especially for a judge at that time. And um, just a couple things as a backstory. One, he was divinely promised to a couple who could not conceive, right? His mother and his, fa- his father's name was Manoah, and his mother could not conceive. And then an angel came before her and promised that she would have a son because she was barren at the time for a long time. Obviously, all, all of us know that Samson had superhuman strength that was given by God, uh, that was foretold. And um, that strength, by the way, came from God. His hair was symbolic, his long hair. He was, the, God told, the angel told his mother that no razor should touch his head. Uh, but it's not like if he cut off half his hair, half of his strength would go away. It wasn't. It was more of a symbolic thing. It was uh, a Nazarite stipulation. It was, a, it was a rule. It was part of the covenant that they had. The strength came from God, from the Spirit of the Lord. It wasn't like, like I said, it's not like a linear thing where you cut half your hair and then half your strength goes away. Throughout the chapters 13 through 17, when it talks about the life of Samson, we see that he has a lot of anger issues, that he acts immaturely, um, that he struggled a lot with lust and sex addictions, and that uh, he had a weakness for Philistine women. And we're going to see that several times in these next couple of chapters, and we're going to see how that led to his moral downfall. And uh, it's crazy to think, if you're reading chapter 13, where God is promising all these things to his parents, and then where he ends up in, um, later on in his life. And it it almost reminds me of, uh, I don't know if you guys remember, there was the, that DirecTV commercial. It came out like 10 years ago. Um, and they made a few iterations of it. It was um, basically they, they start off with a guy who has cable TV, and then there are a bunch of different things happen, like outrageous things start to happen. And then at the end of the commercial, he's like attending his own funeral as a guy named Phil Shifley. You guys remember that, the, those commercials? Where it's like, and then the, the catchphrase would be like, Get rid of cable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get rid of cable. It's like, at first, it's like he doesn't get rid of cable, and then all these crazy things happen. He jumps off this, he does this, and he's attending his own funeral as a guy named Phil Schiffley. And it was just funny because my dad always had a, me and my dad always had an inside joke, like calling each other Phil Schiffley. Like, don't be like Phil Schiffley, you know? And um, the crazy thing is, that's how I feel the life of Samson is like. It starts off him having so much potential to do good and do good work for the Lord, and then at the end, if we look at chapter 17, he's weak, he's bald, and he's blind. And he's, he's serving the Philistines, and they're, they're mocking him, they're making fun of him. Where a couple chapters before, he killed a thousand of them with the jawbone of a donkey. You know? So it's, it's, it's crazy to see how, how because of his sin, because of his uh, lack of respect that, or lack of reverence for the Lord, he ended up way differently than he should have uh, expected. 
Um, let, me guys, let me ask you guys this. Have you guys ever heard the term? It's a Latin term. It's called in media res. Have you guys heard of that before? No? Um, in Latin, or, or the English translation is in the midst of things. And this term in media res, it's a, it's a common cinematic and television trope uh, where it's, it's for storytelling, right? So basically it starts off the story in the middle of the actual uh, plot where it's a climactic point and then something crazy happens and then they pause and then it says 48 hours earlier and they go back in time and tell the whole story. Does that sound a little more familiar? We see it, it was happening a lot in the early 2000s. Now it's kind of cheesy, but um, if someone were to make a, a story like that, either in book form or in television form, I feel like Samuel's, I mean not Samuel, Samson's life would fit this description because he would be bound and blinded and weakened and then it would like pause and some narrator would come like, like this is, how did I end up here? Let me tell you the story and then it'll go all the way back. So it's just crazy to think that so much has happened in his life and he had so much potential and it threw away, not obviously not God, it wasn't God doing it, it was his own sin, his own decisions. And tonight I want to look at chapter 16 and I want to highlight a few things that happened to him, most notably with him and Delilah, because we see the enemy attacking Samson right here. And we see him not preparing himself for those attacks. And I want to look at those, I want to look at the strategy that the enemy has, because the same way that he was attacking Samson is the same way that he attacks us today. It's the same, very similar strategy. Obviously, we live in different times, there are different means. Um, back then, he used the Phil Philistine woman. Now he uses smartphones. Like he, he, there are different ways, but it's the same strategy. And I want to highlight those things so that we can be aware as we progress in our walk, as in our Christian walk. And, I would, I mean, and it's in the verse that we read in verse five. And uh, for each of these points, I want to break it up in a certain structure. First, we're going to address why the enemy uses this tactic to attack us. Then I want to look at the text, what happened to Samson. Then I want us to look at a practical application to our lives. And finally, I want to answer the question, how? How do we respond to this kind of attack? How do we break free from this kind of attack? So the three things are, and I'm going to read verse 5 one more time in chapter 16. And it says, um, And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Seduce him and see where his great strength lies. And by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him, and they will pay her for that. So, number one, the first tactic, the first thing that the enemy wants to do is to seduce. Now, obviously, we, we have a different term for that nowadays, and it means something a little different. The word that is used here is very similar. However, in different points of the Old Testament, um, the word deceive is also interchangeable uh, with this word that they use for Seduce with this Hebrew word. And uh, it makes sense because in order to seduce, you have to deceive. Because you're not promising what you are proposing. Now let's ask the question, why does the enemy want to seduce? Why? Um, let's read this here, 2 Thessalonians 3.3. 3. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Now we as believers... The enemy doesn't have full access to us. Yes, he can, there's oppression. Yes, he can attack. Yes, he can try to lie to us. But we as children of God are protected by our, our Lord right here. It says in the Bible. 
He doesn't have 100% full access to us unless what? We provide it to him. Unless we ourselves open the door. So what the enemy has to do, he has to try to deceive. He has to try to attract so that we may take that first step. That we may answer to that call, answer to that beacon that he proposes. Now, obviously there's, there's certain contexts where we talk about seduction. I'm not going to talk about uh, what, what we first think of, you know, but what I thought of in a more kind of PG setting was, um, I remember I was watching Animal Planet a long time ago, and there was these two birds, and the male bird, it was, it was a peacock with a bunch of colored feathers, and what he had to do to attract a mate is he had to go there and do this crazy dance and show off his feathers and his colors, and it looked like a lot of work, and I was like, man, like the things that they had to do to it wasn't like he showed up on the branch and she was his wife. You know, he actually had to put a lot of work into it, and um, and it, it required. That's what that's what it required. And the point I want to make with this is that seduction isn't instantaneous. It's it's a it's a process. It takes work. It starts off with a little, and it builds and it builds and it builds. And it was the same case for Samson, right? Samson didn't the book. The Bible doesn't start talking about Samson with with his affairs with Delilah. No. It starts earlier, and I want to talk about that. So if we look at Judges 14, 2 through 3, um, this, is his, this, this was his wife, right? The wife that was killed, who was also a Philistine. So the, he, he had uh, affairs with three different Philistine women that are recorded here in the Bible. Obviously, Delilah is not explicitly stated as a Philistine in Scripture. However, based off where she lived geographically and the fact that she had relations with the Philistine rulers, we can safely assume that she was a Philistine herself. Um, verse 2 in, in chapter 14 says, Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to him, is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you must go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. Now there's a lot of problems uh, <laughs> that we see here with Samson. Number one, he obviously dishonored and disregarded his parents' opinion. Um, and that's, that's also problematic. Um, but Another thing and the main issue that we see over here is that he wanted to get a wife from a foreign country. And his parents say over here, isn't, isn't there someone that you can find within our relatives for us today within our faith, right? The, 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 uh, the way to equate it today is us going out into the world and marrying a non-Christian. That's how it was back then. And not only a non-Christian, I mean, the Philistines were their enemies. They were constantly invading for hundreds of years at this point, until, until the, the times of David, until David had to finally vanquish them, to, to drive them out. So that was a big issue for them. And the third problem, and one, the, probably the worst problem that we see here in these two verses is the fact that he puts his ways ahead of, of God's ways. He said, for she is right in my eyes. But shouldn't we acknowledge, shouldn't we try to know what is right in the Lord's eyes? And how many times do we do that? I want this because this is right in my eyes. I want this because this is right in my eyes. Or shouldn't we ask the Lord, who sometimes and very often speaks through our parents, ask our parents, ask someone who is above us, 
hey, is this a good option? And if there's concern, we, we got to rethink some things. I'm not saying ditch the idea completely, but we got to reconsider. We have to understand that God is trying to talk to us. So that was a big problem that he put his ways before God's ways. Now, obviously, this led to a whole ordeal. He married or married this woman, and then um, he had a dinner with 30 other Philistines, and then he brought the riddle, and then she deceived him because she pressed for the riddle and all this stuff, and it ended up her and her father dying and him going crazy and just killing all those people. So a lot, a lot happened because of this mistake that he made. So it, it, it started off with seduction at this point, and if it weren't for this, who knows what would have happened in chapter 16 with Delilah. So it started way back when at this point. Now, how do we respond? We as Christians, how do we respond to the deception, to the seduction of the enemy? The answer is we have to fight. And we have to fight with what? With the truth. We have to fight with the truth. So um, I remember I was, I, years ago at my first job, uh, my coworkers, every time, the, every time we would be done with work, they would want to go out and get some drinks. So luckily at the time I was underage. I was like 20 years old. And they kept on asking me to come there. And I always responded. Instead of responding with the full truth, I said, oh, I'm underage, I can't. You know, I'd always respond with the, with the cop-out answer, right? Or, and, and this could apply to many of you. Maybe you have friends who ask you to come to parties and you say, oh, I can't make it. Oh, I got homework. Where that could be true, but that's not the best response you can give. That's not the absolute truth. Because we as Christians, the way that I respond and maybe the way that you respond should be, actually, you know, I, I appreciate you trying to involve me. However, uh, I, don't li- I don't support that lifestyle. I'm a born-again believer. I do not drink. I don't like to go in those types of environments, so I would appreciate it if you didn't ask me again. Now, likely, what's going to happen? They're probably not going to ask you again. Like I, I know in some cases there's peer pressure, but in a lot of cases, when we present the full truth, we're broken from, from that seduction. There's no more enticing, right, because we presented the truth. Now, what happens with me is like when there was a point where I actually turned 21 and I didn't have that excuse anymore to, to those people. Luckily, I, I literally quit that job two weeks after for other reasons because I wanted to move on to something else. But, but you see how that, that can catch up with you? If we don't use the actual truth, the real truth, we still have that tie. We still have that string attached that can eventually draw us in. Maybe not in that moment, but maybe a few years down the line, like with, with Samson. I mean, I'm sure that, that, uh, that first wife that he had wasn't mean to him, didn't, didn't want to get him killed, didn't want to sell him off to the, the rulers over there. But because he trusted her and because he made that mistake, he, it led him to maybe a few years later, I don't know, however long later, uh, to, um, to trust Delilah in that way, and then he was deceived. And we have to understand that our habits and the way that we position ourselves also matters. So if we have bad habits, we've got to break those habits. If we allow ourselves to be put in a compromising position, guess what? It is much more likely that we will be compromised if we allow ourselves to be in that position. Because then we let our flesh take control, and that's, that's not very reliable. So first, the enemy tries to seduce, and he seduced Samson, not at the exact moment where it led to his downfall, but even before. And we have to recognize that. The second thing that the enemy wants to do to attack us is to, and we see this in verse 5, to learn 
our strengths, and our weaknesses. Now, the verse says strengths, but when you learn someone's strengths, by default, you also learn their weaknesses too, right? When you're spending a lot of time with someone in close proximity, you'll learn their strengths, you'll see them, and then you'll also see their weaknesses. And that could be for a good reason and for a bad reason. And it's important to do this uh, even with war, uh, like war strategies. Um, if you're trying to attack a city or attack a country or, or some capital, you got to make sure you know where their weaknesses are at. Um, for example, if, you're, if, you're, if, there's a, if the city that you're trying to attack has a huge wall in front, um, you're going to have to be creative in how you attack that. Or if they're in the mountains, that's not a good place to attack from because guess what? You can't bring your whole cavalry. It kind of separates you because it's, it's pretty much one or two paths, and then you're left vulnerable because you guys are all confined. Or if uh, a city has a harbor, typically that's a strategic uh, advantage because the harbor kind of bottles you in, and once those ships come in, their defenses will rise up. So there, there's a lot of things to consider when you're trying to attack. So the enemy does not care to attack your strengths as much, but he wants to learn your weaknesses so he can attack those weaknesses. So let's ask ourselves the question again. Why does the enemy want to learn your strengths and weaknesses? Because the enemy has limitations. And there are three things he's limited. One, he has limited time. Right? He doesn't have unlimited time, right? There, the imminent return of Christ is coming, and he does not know the day. Um, if anything, and we see this in the course of life uh, with different evil rulers rising up, with Hitler, with all these other guys, Satan probably thinks that, oh, this, this is the Antichrist, this is the Antichrist, I'm preparing for this, and it's, it is just continuing to prolong. So he doesn't know, the enemy doesn't know when Christ is going to return. Only the Father knows. Second, he's limited in resources. The Bible says that only one-third of the angels fell from heaven. So that means he has a finite number of resources of demons that can help him. He doesn't have unlimited help. And third, he's limited in power, and we know that a lot through scripture, especially when it comes to children of God. He's very limited in that way. So that's why he's not going to waste your time. For example, if, if, if you've never taken a sip of alcohol in your life and that's not something you struggle with, he's probably not going to attack you with that because it'd be a waste of his time, a waste of his resource, and a waste of whatever power he has. No, he's going to find and see that weakness in your life, and he's going to try to attract that and make you stumble in that way. Now, how does this apply to Samson's story? Now, I want to look, and I'm, I'm going to kind of paraphrase a little bit just because it's a little long, with, with Delilah's uh, so-called temptations. Um, the first question she asked him is, or she asked the same question but multiple times. She said, how may one, how are you weakened? What makes you weak so that we can bind you and subdue you? Which is a very sus question to have, very suspicious. I, don't, I mean, we'll talk about it a little later, but I would be, I'd be concerned if someone asked me that. And first, Samson asks with what? He's toying with him. He says seven, uh, what is it, fresh bowstrings. Now, bowstrings is kind of like uh, animal guts, like it's, uh, it's, but it's very weak. Uh, I mean, we could all, all, all of us probably break out of bowstrings. It's not, it's not that strong. And he kind of said this to kind of, he's toying with the Philistines. He's like, whatever, I, I don't really care. So obviously, they try that. It doesn't work. The second one, when she asks him the second time, he says what? Oh, if you bind me with new rope that has never been used before, then I'll be subdued. Now, that is actually a reference from the previous chapter when um, he made a deal with the, with the men of Judah who delivered him. He was bound with new ropes. He made a deal with the men of Judah to deliver him to the Philistines. 
And then he was able to break out of that, took the jawbone of the donkey and killed a thousand of them. So, so that was kind of like a, a trick that he was playing. Like he was, he was so conceited and so full of himself that like, oh yeah, like I'm surely they, they'll remember about the new rope. So they tried that. It didn't work. However, the new rope was stronger than the bowstrings. Now the third thing was, was kind of interesting. We, we're starting to see a pattern, a progression of worse and worse. What does he say the third time? Oh, if you, if you tie my hair in seven locks and put the pins. Now, we know that's not going to weaken him, but that's getting awfully close. It's like when you're, play, when you're, you're getting warmer, you're getting warmer, you're getting warmer, and that's, that's a concern, right? Because he's, he's getting worse and worse and worse, and obviously that doesn't work. And finally, after she, and the Bible says, she pressed him and she said, how can you say that you love me if you're lying to me? She pressed him and it says that he was vexed, he was annoyed, he was overwhelmed, that he finally just gave up and he told her. Now, th- this happened, all, it didn't all happen in one night, it happened in a progression of nights. And we see how, because he didn't respond correctly the first time, it got worse the second time. And he got worse the third time. And the fourth time he finally gave in. So the enemy obviously knew Samson's weakness, but because Samson didn't do anything about it, it didn't matter at that point. Samson's greatest danger was the fact that he was playing with sin, and he violated God's commands. Uh, there were a few stipulations that God made at the very beginning, so as, as we mentioned, he married someone outside of the faith. That was a violation of Mosaic law, right? The second thing he did, and this is in chapter 14, was he, viol- he was not supposed to de- eat anything unclean. He wasn't supposed to touch a dead body. And what does he do in chapter 14? He finds that dead lion, right? The carcass of a lion. There were bees around it, and this is kind of gross. But he found honey in that. He scooped it up, and he was eating it on the way home. And what did he do? He served his parents without telling them where it came from which is the second violation he made. So again, all of these things that he was doing was a, was a direct disobedience to God. And instead of doing, doing anything about it with, with the honey, he was flaunting it in front of the Philistines. Right? He actually, when he made that riddle, he was talking about when he found the honey in that dead lion. Instead of repenting and asking God for forgiveness, he makes a joke out of it. And all these things led to where he ended up. Now let me ask you this. How do we respond to the second type of attack? How do we as Christians respond to it? The first one was we fight. We can fight that with the truth. If we understand who we are in Christ, we can fight that. Like, no, I'm sorry, I don't drink, that's not my lifestyle, be gone. But once we get stuck in this temptation phase where we're starting to draw further and further from the Lord, what do we do? Do we stay and fight? No. This time, it's flight. We flee the temptation. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, so flee youthful passions. And it doesn't end there. It says, so flee youthful passions and what? Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So not only flee from the temptations, flee from the youthful passions, pursue all these good things, and guess what? Are you doing it by yourself? No, you're doing it in a community with other people who have that pure heart, who call on the Lord. In Genesis 39, where it talks about Joseph and Potiphar's wife, um, again, like I said, the seduction, that, that temptation stuff is not instantaneous. It's a process. You know that she actually pursued him multiple times before, he, before they had that episode where he was arrested. 
What, now, she kept on pursuing, and he said, no, no, no. Now, what was different from that last time? And it's, it's kind of, you, you, you can miss it at times if you don't read it carefully. And it says that very last time, when all the men were outside of the house. So when they were alone and when there were no witnesses. So Joseph, when he was provoked, when he was approached, it was a lot easier for him to say no because there were witnesses like, okay, like we can't, no, no, sorry, can't do that. But guess what? He got to the point where maybe no one would have found out because no one was in the house. So what did he do? Did he stay there and start citing scripture to her even though at that time there wasn't? No, he fled. Yes, he was a godly man, but he fled. He did not take a chance. And what did that lead? It led to years of imprisonment. There was a consequence because of that. So Samson, instead of doing what Joseph did, he played around with it. He was, he was flirting with, with the sin in his life. And we have to make sure that we flee from it. We don't fight it. It's interesting because the Bible says, submit to the Lord, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. But it says, flee youthful passions. So it's, it's very specific on what we need to do. If we get trapped in that phase, flee from it, guys. Don't try to, don't try to fight it. If you, God will make a way out. Find that way out and get out of there. Get out of that position. So we had, first he wants to seduce you. Next, he wants to learn your weaknesses, learn your strengths. And lastly, as we see in this passage in verse 5, the third thing he wants to do, and this, it kind of all leads up to this, he wants to bind you. He wants to bind you. He wants to hold you in captivity. So um, let's ask ourselves the question, since we're on this pattern. Why does the enemy want to bind us? Why does he want to bind us? I mean, the easy answer is he wants to hinder, he wants to deter us from doing the Lord's work. He knows that God is working through us, but he knows that if he trips us along the way, that, and I guess it's a sick, twisted way of him thinking, he thinks that God's will will be lessened in a certain way, which is obviously not the case. But he wants to bind us because he has no good reason on why he wants to win, and he's just spreading chaos. And... Um, this reminded me of a passage in, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 7, and this actually compares, so, so uh, what's his name? Samson was, the, was a judge over Israel for, for 20 years, right? And in those 20 years, he didn't have any major military conquests. He didn't do anything good with the government. He didn't help society. He just killed a bunch of people on his own. And Samuel, who obviously was not, didn't have the gifts that uh, Samson had, did more in one day as a judge, militarily, than Samson did in 20 years. In, in chapter, verse Samuel chapter 7, verses 7 through 13, it talks about when they're at battle with the Philistines, and the people, they, they urge to Samuel, it's like, cry out to the Lord, do not stop. And what Samuel did is he, he offered up a lamb as a sacrifice, cried out to the Lord, and then it says, in, I believe in verse 13, where the Philistines were driven out. And at that, that was a major turning point in the fight between Israel and Philistia, right, the Philistines. Because from that point on, there was never a permanent uh, settlement or an attack on Israel. It says that they drove them out and is a major turning point. So Samuel, who had all these powers, who had all these gifts from God, wasted those 20 years because he was immature, he was angry, he had a lot of lust that was out of control. And Samuel did more than Samson did in one day than what Samson did in 20 years. And that's, that's called wasting your life. 
So just to recount, Samson finally gives in. Obviously, he, she, he tells Delilah the truth. And uh, it's interesting, when Delilah said, how can you say you loved me? Um, in, what, in the first verse we read in verse 4, it says he loved the woman. And that word love that is used over there is uh, the, the connotation, the meaning behind it is, is that there's a binding love, right? It's, it's a love that's used between, uh, it's like a brotherly love, a familial love, a romantic love, a love from humans to God, but it's, it's a binding love. And we see that through all of this, he was bound to Delilah from the very beginning. And he, because he, he did not forsake her, he did not leave that situation. And we see that she cut his hair, which was the, obviously the third violation because he was not supposed to bring a razor to his head, and that he was overcome, he was seized, he was blinded, they gouged out his eyes, and they bound him with bronze shackles, and they, they took him in captivity. Now I want to say this, because I guess this has some sort of meaning, but I solemnly believe that Samson was bound spiritually before he was bound physically. And I also believe that Samson was blinded spiritually before they even gouged out his eyes. So what good did it do? And as we know, they took him captive to work, right? It was the blind bind and grind. They thought he had to to work over there. He was brought out in the house over there. He was mocked in front of 3,000 Philistines. And then he called upon the Lord to, for, for his final hurrah. And we can assume here, and we'll read this passage in Psalm 66, we can assume that he repented because Psalm 66, 18 through 19 says, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened, but truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. So we can assume that, that Samson was very repented. He, he, he realized his mistake and he wanted, he wanted to, to have a restart. And we know that when he brought down, he was finally given that strength. When he brought down that house, it fell down and it killed 3,000 Philistines and it also killed uh, him as well. So the last thing, first we had, first, uh, we had to fight the seduction, we had to flee the flight, right? Flee the temptation or the weaknesses that we have in our lives, uh, instilled by the enemy or uh, provoked by the enemy. And lastly, how do we fight this? If we're bound, if the enemy wants to bind us and he, he succeeds for a, for a moment, how do, we, how do we fight this? What is our response? And the response is might, and this is God's might. Because it's, not, it's not, nothing we can do at that point, it's when we call upon the Lord to set us free to break those chains, and he will. Samson did it. He realized that he had no more strength. He, and it even says in the Bible over here that he did not know that the Lord's spirit departed from him. But he realized that he was poor in spirit at that point. He realized he was weak, he was blind, he was mocked, and he said, God, I call upon you. So if tonight, if, that's, if you're in that case, if you're bound, if you're blinded, if you're in a terrible situation, I mean, it's, you can read all the self-help books you want. You could do all these steps that these, people, these pastors are saying, these teachers are saying, but you need to call upon the Lord first so that he may break those chains and those binds in your life. And as I conclude, I, wanna, I, wanna, I want us to ask ourselves a few questions. And it's kind of related to, to what we talked about tonight, but one, do we see certain provocations or attempts of seduction or deception in our lives that can potentially lead us on the wrong path? It may be subtle, it may not be obvious, but do you see these little flickers here and there 
that could potentially bring us to ruin. And if you do see that, fight with the truth. Know who you are. Know your identity. Know who you are in Christ. Know what God has called you to do. Second question I want us to ask ourselves is, do we catch ourselves flirting with sin or becoming more comfortable with the moral gray areas in our lives? And is there active temptation? So it's not just actively going to that place where we shouldn't be or actively doing the things we shouldn't be. Are we becoming more comfortable with things that are not of God? Because that's, that's something that could fly right over our heads if we're not attentive. If we're becoming more co- comfortable with the, the bad jokes that we say, of the, of the shows that we watch, or of, of the life that we live, or the example that we are in our workplace, in our school, are we becoming more comfortable with that? Because if we are, we need to catch ourselves there. And if there's temptation, if there's active temptation in our lives, flee from it. Get yourself out of that position. If, if you're, even if you're, at, if you're at a job where there is active temptation and there's nothing else you can do, at least at the corporate level, plug out your eyes, cut off your hand, quit the job. The Lord will work. He will restore. He will find a way where you can serve him and make an income. He will provide. Flee from it. Flight. And the last question I want us to ask ourselves is, do we recognize patterns of sin in our life or habitual sin that binds us and that doesn't appear to be going away anytime soon? If there is active habitual sin in our lives, don't expect to, like I said, follow some five-step process and, and, and be, good, be done with it. Number one, call upon the Lord. Ask for forgiveness. Ask for power. If you need to talk to someone, talk to a pastor. You can always go up to Cornell and, and talk to him. That's what you need to do. We need to confess before the Lord of our weaknesses and of our shortcomings. And we need to rely not on our might but on God's might, because only he can do that. Only he can break those binds. Only he can break those chains. I want us to stand up. I want us to conclude in a, in a prayer. Obviously, we don't put our faith in Samson. Um, the story is story, even though he did a lot of bad things. It's, it's a story of vindication at the end. There was a redemptive quality at the end where he realized, like as we read in Matthew chapter 5, that he was poor in spirit and that he needed the Lord to do, to do the work. And only then, as again, Matthew chapter 5 says, when Jesus starts off the Beatitudes, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. And that's how we inherit the kingdom. If first we realize that we are poor in spirit, that even though we have great talents or great abilities, or, I mean, Samson had super strength. None of us have that, or I don't know, maybe some of you do. But we all have different giftings, and that, if it gets to our head where we start flaunting it and we start attacking our, our enemies with it without giving glory to God, we're going to end up in the same exact position he was. But it's a good thing that he's not our example. Jesus Christ is our example. And I want to quickly here before we pray, I want to list some similarities between Jesus and Samson and some differences as well. First, the similarities. Both, were, both births were foretold by an angel. Both were separated and consecrated to God from the womb. Both were Nazarites. Both moved in the power of the Holy Spirit. Both were rejected by their people. And then both destroyed, or will destroy in Jesus' case, their enemies. Now the differences. One, Samson lived a life of sin. Jesus' life was sinless. 
Samson, at the time of his death, prayed, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And what did Jesus pray at the time of his death? He said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. In death, Samson's arms were outstretched in wrath. In death, Jesus' arms were outstretched in love. And the last thing, and the most powerful, Samson died, but Jesus Christ is alive. So in this time, if you catch yourself, if you, if you think about the questions that we talked about, if there's anything in your life that is holding you back, if there is something that you just can't get rid of, bring it before the Lord. And I, I love that passage that we read in, in 2 Timothy. It's not, don't just flee from the temptation. Don't just pursue these good things. But do so in a community of people who have the same exact goal as, as, as you do. Because in numbers, we're much stronger. And God, that, that's how God created us, to be communal, to be together, to, to fight together, to be a body, to work together. And recognize that, yes, while Samson made his mistakes, we can relate to him, but he's not our example, but Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the one who breaks the chains, the one who redeems us, the one who saved us, is our ultimate example. Let's go before learning prayer. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I hope that uh, God's word had a true impact on your heart, and I hope that we could all learn from this and uh, make sure that we as Christians are faithfully in the word, uh, continuously in prayer, and, and having faith in God that he's going to continue to work in us, that we may remain in those places that he has blessed us in. So thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, just a couple of announcements as I close off. Like I said at the beginning, you can follow us for any on all updates on the Instagram account, which is at the Potter's House. And uh, if you guys, by the way, if you guys have a public account um, and you tag the Potter's House and you share it, um, I can reshare those. Uh, but if, you, if you're on private, um, I cannot reshare it because I'm not following most of you on the, on the podcast account. So if you guys have shared my, you know, my tag before on the story in your private account and you're wondering why I never reposted it, it's because I can't see it. So, uh, but for those of you who do have public accounts, you want to share it, I can reshare it. Really, I really appreciate all, um, all of that just because, uh, like I said, the more people get to listen to what, what God is working through this ministry, the better. It's not for my own edification, but for the glory of God. And I pray that he humbles me with that every single day. But I appreciate you guys nonetheless. Um, again, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, leave a review. Helps with the exposure of the show. Um, that's it, guys. Hopefully, we'll have some things upcoming soon. Not really sure. There's a lot up in the air right now. But uh, I do appreciate all the support that I have from uh, the consistent listeners. And I'm grateful for you all. So, Thank you guys so much for tuning in, and we will see you next time.